the book of Exodus and chapter 4. Exodus chapter 4. We're going to start, this is going to be part one of Passover. We're not quite going to get there this morning, but we will next week. And um, quick background before we read our scripture. Moses has been on the run. He is in the desert. He has gone out. Um, He tried to help a fellow Hebrew that was fighting with an Egyptian, ends up killing the guy. The Egyptian buries his body in the sand, gets found out, then runs off into the desert where he spends quite many years there with his father-in-law, Jethro. And the Lord has spoken to him in the burning bush. He's given him uh, the plan, the vision. This is what I want you to do, Moses. Um, Moses has pleaded with God, send anybody else. If anyone else can do this thing, send them. Um, And God says, no, no, you are my man. This is what I want you to do. Um, He even goes so far saying, listen, these are some of the the miracles that you are going to. To perform, he says, "This this staff that you have here, I want you to to throw it on the ground." And he throws the staff on the ground, and it it turns into a snake. And like, whoa, okay. And he picks it back up, and it turns into a staff again. He says, "Now take your hand and and put your hand in your cloak." And Moses puts his hand inside of his cloak, and when he takes it out again, it's it's pure as white snow, and uh, just as some kind of severe skin disease. The Bible says, he says, "Put it back in there, take it out, and then it's brand new." And so these kind of miracles that God shows Moses just kind of saying, listen, I'm going to be with you in this thing. And we want to pick up in chapter 4 and verse 18. So he's had this moment with God, and now this is what happened. So God went back home to Jethro, his father-in-law. Please let me return to my relatives in Egypt, Moses said. I don't even know if they are still alive. Go in peace, Jethro replied. Before Moses... Before Moses left Midian, the Lord said to him, return to Egypt for all those who wanted to kill you have died. So Moses took his wife and sons and put them on a donkey and headed back to the land of Egypt. In his hand, he carried the staff of God. And the Lord told Moses, when you arrive back in Egypt, go to Pharaoh and perform all the miracles I have empowered you to do. But I will harden his heart so he will refuse to let the people go. Then you will let, then you will tell him, this is what the Lord says. Israel is my firstborn son. I command you, let my son go so he can worship me. But since you have refused, I will now kill your firstborn son. Now on the way to Egypt, at a place where Moses and his family had stopped for the night, for the night, the Lord confronted him and was about to kill him. But Moses' wife, Zipporah, took a flint knife and circumcised her son. She touched his feet with the foreskin and said, Now you are a bridegroom of blood to me. When she said a bridegroom of blood, she was referring to the circumcision. After that, the Lord left him alone. Now the Lord had said to Aaron, Go out into the wilderness to meet Moses. So Aaron went. And met Moses at the mountain of God, and he embraced him. Moses then told Aaron everything the Lord had commanded him to say. And he told him about the miraculous signs the Lord had commanded him to perform. Then Moses and Aaron returned to Egypt, 
and called the elders of Israel together. Aaron told them everything the Lord had told Moses. And Moses performed the miraculous signs as they watched. And then the people of Israel were convinced that the Lord had sent Moses and Aaron. When they heard what the Lord, that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed and worshipped. Has God ever spoken to you and given you a dream, a vision, a plan? This is what I want you to do. But then there's this kind of but. But hold on. See, he's spoken to Moses. He's saying, this is all that's going to happen. You're going to go back in. You're going to speak to the Pharaoh. You're going to bring all of my people out of this slavery, out of all of the misery, out of everything that they're going in. You're going to come back. You're going to bring them to this mountain, Mount Sinai, and they are going to worship me on this mountain. You are going to be a key instrument in bringing about the freedom to the people of God. And God's given them this this. This incredible plan, this incredible dream, this incredible vision, clear steps on what needs to be done. But then there's this but. But when you do this, when you arrive in Egypt and even perform all of these signs, I will harden the heart of Pharaoh and he will refuse to let the people go. In other words, I'm sending you to do this thing, but realize the the first few times that you try to do it, it's not going to work. Here's the plan, Moses. Here's the vision. Here's the dream. Go out, but realize you're going to fail. The first few times that you try and do this thing, you're going to fail. Pharaoh's heart's going to be hardened, and it's not going to work. You're going to say, let my people go. He's going to say, not going to happen. Even times whenever he says that it's going to happen. And so, wait a minute, God. Haven't you told me to do this thing? Isn't this, you know, there's a burning bush experience. Where undeniably, God has sent me out. This is the plan. This is the vision. This is the dream. God, wait a minute. Hold on. Why is it not going to work? Why, why is this thing going to fail? Have you ever had that? Where God's given you a dream? He's given you a vision only for you to step out in faith, to start doing the thing, but all of a sudden, nothing is working out? It seems like everything, the, the further you go with it, the more you fail. The more you try to do the right thing, things just get worse. Um, and, and that's kind of the thing about a testimony is that there has to be a test. That's the thing about a miracle. Something has to be wrong. You know, we love the idea of a miracle. We love the idea of a test. But for a miracle to happen, something's messed up. And we have to put it right. Uh, we love the idea of resurrection. But for resurrection, there first has to be death. We love the the, the idea of, of hope, but at the same time, hope is the reality of we are not experiencing it yet. And so that's why this morning, when we sung that song, and we said we're making all things new, for the reality for some of us, There's a hope inside our heart, but it was hard for us to sing that song because we look at the present situation that we're in, and it's like, God, I want you to make things new, but things are still really old. The hurt and the pain and the failure is still right here, right now, and there's the reality of everything that I'm going through in my life is hurting, and I'm standing before you with the hope that you're making all things new. 
but I'm not really experiencing that, God. So please, will you make all things new? I believe, help my unbelief. I believe, help my unbelief. God, I want to hold on to you. I believe in resurrection, but right now it feels like death. I believe in the things that are yet to come, but right now it's the hope of and the reality of now. And sometimes it looks completely different. And sometimes it's like, God, you've given me this dream, but there's all of this opposition. As a matter of fact, God, you knew about it. You told me to do these things. I started to do them, and now things have gotten worse. Uh, I was in, um, this was year, years back, I was in India, and we were going different villages to villages, uh, telling people about Jesus, and we rolled up in this huge, it was like a, a cattle truck, and there's just tons of people in the back of the cattle truck, and, and we roll up to this one particular village, only to be met by the village and realize they did not want us here. I mean, they were very upset. We hadn't even stepped out of the truck. We were just there, and there was this big commotion. Um, I didn't speak uh, Hindi, didn't know the language, but every, you know, you could just tell when something's wrong. You're like, oh, wow, you know, this is not good. Please don't start picking up rocks or something because this could get dangerous. And, but things are going on. The, the elder of the village is coming out, having, and, and we're on the edge of getting kicked out, uh, so much so that we move our vehicle as if we're going to leave and then all of a sudden, at the midst, when everything just thought, like, we're not going to get to come to the village, hope is gone, uh, one man kind of stepped up, and I guess, I don't know if he was a leader in the village, what was happening, it just kind of looked like he said something, and then everything changed. He said something to, to the people, everything changed. Next thing you know, we're setting up, and we're showing the Jesus film, and we're preaching the gospel, and people are getting saved. And it was this moment of, Man, it just looked like everything wasn't about to work out. It was what I would kind of call the Jack Bauer moment, you know, in 24, where everything is against him. There's no way Jack Bauer is going to get out of this situation, but then he makes it out in the last second. And, and sometimes God does that with us, where it just seems like there is no hope for this dream. There's no hope for this marriage. There's no hope for this job. There's no hope for this whatever. And God all of a sudden just says a word at the last minute. And all of a sudden, things begin to be made new. All of a sudden, hope comes closer. All of a sudden, the testimony is rising out of the test. All of a sudden, resurrection appears. But wait a minute, Jesus. Don't you know, like, they've been in the tomb for four days. Lazarus has been dead. And if you open that up, it's going to stink. God says, open it up. Like, take those steps. He has a way of just doing things that we think it's dead and it's done. And God breathes life. He says, listen, you're going to go and I've sent you to do these things, but you need to realize it's not going to be easy. I'm sending you out to Pharaoh. You're going to do this. My people are going to come. They're going to worship me. But he's going to resist you. There will be opposition to the dream and the vision that God has placed in your life. If God is giving you something to do, you can guarantee that there will be those that will fight against you. There will be 
unspeakable number of things that will come against you because the enemy knows. The enemy knows that this is what God has for you. But, see, we've kind of grown up in a culture that we want everything to be easy. We want everything to be McDonald's and right now and really fast and ABC. And and we kind of look at, well, we affirm our calling by things working out. Well, God must be pleased because look how everything has worked out. Or, man, you you know, we, we even say that, that kind of quote that says, well, you can't argue with results. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. Because look what happens next. Moses is like, Moses is in the mindset, man, I am on God's A-team. You know, I've had this experience in the desert. There's been this burning bush. God's given me this plan, this dream, this vision. Th- these miracles are happening. I mean, the, the whole thing with the hand, wow, that was cool. You know, the stick. I mean, as a matter of fact, Aaron, come check out what God's doing. Look at this. Uh, and then all of a sudden the Bible says this. And then the Lord sought to kill Moses. What? Wait, wait, hold on. I, I, I'm doing everything that you've told me to do, God. You, you've even told me that there's going to be opposition against this plan that you've told me to do. And now, well, you know, if anything, we're supposed to be good. Don't you, don't you see how everything, it, it, all the success, all the miracles, everything that's happening, and God says, uh, no, we got a problem. Um, and so what happens is Moses' wife circumcises their son, throws it, at his feet and says, now we're all good. And the Lord relents. Why, why is this such a big thing? Uh, to understand why this is so important, we've got to understand the backstory of it. Genesis chapter 17. Genesis 17 and verse 9. Genesis. God has given this promise to Abraham. This is, this is after God said, look up at the stars, all the descendants. Uh, I, I'm going to bring a people group out of you. He's given this wonderful promise. And then he says this to Abraham. And then God said to Abraham, your responsibility, I'm going to do all of these things through you, but your responsibility is to obey the terms of the covenant. You and all your descendants have this continual responsibility. This is the covenant that you and your descendants must keep. Okay, so God's very clear. I'm going to do my part, but with this covenant, you've got to do your part. And here is your part. Each male among you must be circumcised. You must cut off the flesh of your foreskin as a sign for the covenant between you and me. From generation to generation, every male child must be circumcised on the eighth day after his birth. This applies not only to members of your family, but also to the servants born in your household and to the foreign-born servants whom you have purchased. All must be circumcised. God repeats it over and over. Abraham, let's make this very clear. For this covenant, part of it is this circumcision. Okay, New Testament hasn't come yet. New thing. But for Moses, this would be... The one thing, just like with Adam in the garden. Listen, you could have all this garden, everything, but this one thing, don't eat of this tree. So there's this one thing that Moses has to do. You've got to make sure that your son, that you are circumcised. 
This is the rule. There's no getting around it from generation to generation. This is how we distinguish the people of God. They are circumcised. This is God's covenant with, with Abraham. This is part of the promise. Moses hasn't done it. Moses is in sin. He's in sin against God. But the thing is, he thinks he's okay. He thinks he's okay because look at everything that God is doing through me. Did you not hear about the miracles, guys? Did you, not, did you not see the rod? Did you not see everything that God, he spoke to me in the burning, all of these amazing things. Look at all of the success. God is okay. It's okay that I just have this sin. It's okay. See, sometimes we want to think that our success or what the world calls success is, is the justification for our sin. And we think that because everything's going okay, God is happy with us. And this is completely contrary to the scripture. Today we live in a society that says, well, look at all the miracles. Look at how, how that church is growing. Or, or look at how, uh, look, you got a raise on the job. Or look at, look at uh, uh, the things that are happening. You're, you took your company public and the stocks are, are, are soaring. Or, or everyone knows your name. Everyone's telling you what a good job you're doing. Uh, you, you've stepped out and you're doing these things. God must be blessing you and, and things must be happening. We, we're... We're building villages and digging wells. We're sponsoring orphanages. We're, we're building houses for the homeless. We're getting people up off of the street. We're sponsoring missionaries. We're doing all this work. It's okay that I cheat on my wife. It's okay that I'm still hooked on drugs. It's okay that I have this little sin because look at all of this. God must be in it. God must be happy. And see, what happened is probably back maybe mid-90s or so, uh, there, there was this kind of explosion of, of all these churches and things that we called mega churches and all this stuff and, and, and these men and women. But then all of a sudden we started hearing these stories of what we, you know, great leaders in, in the body of Christ started falling. What, wait a minute. Wait, they were, they were stealing money. They were cheating on their wife. They were preaching against homosexuality and they were homosexual themselves they were doing all of these things on the outside but there was all of these secret sins and they started coming out and it just started imploding and see because they thought that they were above these things well god must be happy with me it must be okay because look at all these other things that are happening see i'm thoroughly convinced that sometimes what we call success, God calls failure. And what we call failure, God calls success. As a matter of fact, there's a time in the Bible where uh, I believe it's Gideon. He's getting ready to go out. And he's going to this battle. And, and clearly the Lord has sent him. But the Lord said, listen, you've got too many men. And I'm going to dwindle it down. You're not going to win this battle with this many men. You need less to win. I'm not going to do it with the thousands. I want you to take it down to 300. Because with the thousands, you're going to lose. With what everything that the world says is, will bring you success. With everything the world says, this is how you do it. But if you just do it with what I tell you to do, that's success. Obedience. It doesn't look right. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't mathematically add up. And God says, this is the way I want you to do it. Are you going to be obedient? Success and failure. Uh, 
I was a part of um, a wonderful, wonderful church in Michigan, and uh, so proud of my pastor up there. Amazing guy, great leader, and um, we were having a well-known, if I were to tell you his name, you would know it, having a well-known man that was supposed to come and speak at the church that particular Sunday, and the pastor called and told him, sorry, you can't come. Um, because it had just come out that he was leaving his wife, and, and he was leaving his wife not because she um, adultery or uh, abuse or any of those things. He was just leaving his wife because uh, I'm tired of her. I'm get a, I'm gonna get a new one. And so he calls and he and he talks to his pastor and says, you know, we're sorry, but we can't have you come and speak at the church. And to which this was the response. Well but look at all the things that are happening in my previous meetings. Do you know how many people are getting saved? You know how many, how many books I've sold? Do you know all these things? And to which my pastor said, but you ain't speaking here. And that's godly leadership. So like you're not justified because of what you think is success. You can't do these things and think that God is pleased with you. Um, I remember having a conversation with a buddy. I think he's, at, he's actually in the room this morning. And he, he told me about a friend that was going through some stuff. And, and his definition of a Christian was this. A Christian is someone who knows the Bible well enough to justify whatever they do. A Christian is someone who knows the Bible well enough to justify whatever they do. And here's the thing. When, it talk, when we begin to start talking about sin issues and things that are going on in our lives, um, we are all hypocrites on some sense of the word. We all have issues. We all have things going on. Uh, you're messed up. I'm messed up. That, that leader that you think is just the leader, he's messed up. She's messed up. Okay? And so it's not about being perfect. Okay? No perfect people allowed. It's not about being perfect. But the difference is when we try to cover that sin up, when we try to justify that sin of saying, I'm okay doing this because of this. It's okay that I just have this thing in my life. It's okay that I'm hooked on porn. It's okay that I'm lying and cheating at work. It's okay that I'm stealing from my boss because, after all, I'm helping all of these kids and all of these orphanages and I tithe and, and I do these things for the church and, and, and I pray an hour a day and I read my Bible and God says, nope, Moses, I'm out to kill you. You've got, you, you, you can't, you can't just sweep these things under the rug and think God's, oh, it's all good because we experience some measure of success. I think God calls it failure. So it goes from this promise that God's given Moses says, listen, first of all, I want you to know it's not going to be easy. There's going to be people that are going to fight against you. Second of all, it's not just this fight against man, but you need to realize that you've got to be right, Moses. You've got to do it the right way. And if you want my blessing, even though it takes some pain, even though there has to be some circumcision, even though some things have to be cut, this is what it takes. Get right. And then it says this in verse 27. 
And the Lord said to Aaron, go out into the wilderness and meet Moses. I think sometimes when we're going through these things, there's the overwhelming feeling of being alone. That, excuse me, we're the only ones. We're the only ones. And the worst thing we could do is try to cover up our sins. That's what the Pharisees would do. I think some of the loneliest people in the Bible were the Pharisees. Oh, sure, they got all the pats on the back, and everyone knew who they were, and and they were like the talk of the town because, after all, they are the spiritual leaders. You know, I look at some of the pastors and some of the leaders. I think, man, you are so lonely because you've worn a mask for so long that no one knows who you are. You've tried to be super Christian for so long. Have you ever noticed some of the people that are so hardcore, you can't, you can't do this. You can't smoke a cigarette. You can't watch a rated R movie. You can't do all these things. Do you ever realize that years later, they're the very ones that fall into the gravest of sins? Well, wait a minute. Hold on. You were, you were a hardcore Christian guy. And, and what you listen to other stations besides Caleb and what? And then all of a sudden, there's some skeletons that come out of their closet because they've been wearing the mask for too many years. Some of them, I think, are our heroes. Because they've never known the beauty of saying, this is who I am, God. And my righteousness is like a filthy rag. My good works and my deeds, God, they fall so short. Our band sounds great, but compared to the music of heaven, we are like filthy rags. My preaching is like below that. I don't know what's worse than that. (laughs) But through resurrection and through redemption, God could say, I can use you. Not that there's anything in you, but it's everything that I've done through my work on the cross. And it's my blood that could put you in right standing. I could use you. I could use you. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how far away that you've fallen. I know, see, it doesn't matter which boat you're in. If you're, you're in the boat that just seems like everything's going wrong and I'm trying to do the right thing. Lord, I started tithing only for my finances to get worse. I started trying to, to be Christ to my wife only to find that my marriage is falling apart now. Uh, I tried to be regular attenders in church and I, I'm trying to only to find that my family is just at odds and fighting every Sunday morning and just to get here is the worst thing ever and and I'm trying to be a a good employee at the job but now I've gotten demoted and and everything is just falling apart or or whether you're in the other boat and and, and things just couldn't be better and and all of these things are happening and, and life is good you need Jesus we all need Jesus While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And the thing is, we need Jesus, but we need each other. We can't hold it all in. In the garden where everything's perfect, and God says, look, it's not good that man be alone. 
you need someone else to share life with, someone that you can be real with. Hey, I'm going through this struggle. I'm going through this pain. Do you have someone in your life that you could just be you with? Someone in your life where you don't have to pretend to be anything but you. Someone that you could tell whatever it is, and they're not going to judge you. And it's so sad that in the church, out of all places, we should have that type of atmosphere. We should have that type of, of community that loves people. And yet we find the very opposite often in the church. For some of you, most of your experiences, well, I tried that, Lucas. I, I tried to be open and vulnerable, but you should have seen the look that the pastor gave me when I told him I had the sin in my life. You should have seen when everyone else just rejected me and, and practically threw me out of the church because I told him I was struggling with this particular sin. And so it's easier just to wear the mask. But it's very very lonely and it breeds pharisees we need god but we need each other see that's why tom hanks made wilson and cast away i need somebody wilson there it is (laughs) sorry got to break the tension in here um you know, this morning, even uh, I get the feeling, you know, I, that God just wants to do something more. So I want the band to come back up, and um, we're going to do that Making Things New song again. And uh, for some of us, uh, may, maybe this will be what kind of brings it all together. Um, in Ephesians, it says this. Therefore, doing all that you can do, take on the whole armor of God, that when that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand. In other words, this, when you've done everything, stand. Put on the armor of God. Say, Jesus, I need you, and I just need to stand. It's time to take a stand. It's time to take a stand. No one said it was going to be easy. Doesn't mean that there's not going to be difficulties in your life. Doesn't mean that the very ones that you're trying to help are not going to come against you. There's going to be those with hardened hearts. There's going to be times where God has to deal with you almost violently. (laughs) Where God has to say, all right, all right, child. I don't know about you, but when God deals with me, there's a part of me that says, Lord, forgive me. (laughs) You know, there's that song that says, I can only imagine what it'll be like when I'm right. I don't have to imagine. I'm going to be on my face. Lord, forgive me. Lord, wow, just this moment with you. It's not going to be easy. Doing the things that God's called you to do. Sometimes God just says, Stop it. I know you're addicted to drugs. Stop. There's going to be some withdrawal. You're going to sweat and you're going to go through pain and you're going to go through hurt like you've never felt before. But it's time to stop. It's time to take a stand. Say, you know what? 
I'm not going to let the ways of this world just blow me from left to right anymore. I'm going to take a stand. When you're weak, take a stand. When you're strong, take a stand. When you, having done all that you can do, take a stand. Because here's the thing. Uh, you remember the old Rocky movie? And, and the best one, I think it's, I don't know if it's part two. I think it's part two. Maybe it's part one. I don't know, but he's fighting Apollo Creed. And, and it's, the, it's the very end of the movie. And both of these guys are knocked down on the ground. And here's the thing. For Rocky to win, he doesn't have to punch Apollo. He doesn't have to do anything. All he has to do is get to his feet. All he has to do is, there's 10 seconds. And Rocky, all you've got to do is get to your feet. And if you could just get to your feet, you're going to win. And he's been beat to a pulp. Apollo's done everything he can to just destroy Rocky. And his face is beat up and he's all bloody and there's nothing left. There's not an ounce of energy left in him. All it is is heart. And all it is is, if I could just get to my feet. And so this morning, if you've been beat to a pulp, you don't have to do anything but get to your feet. God's saying all you've got to do is stand. Having done everything that you can do, you fight the good fight. All you've got to do is get to your feet and stand. So please stand with me this morning as we sing this song one more time. Peace be still, and you are near. There's nowhere we can go that you won't shine. Redemption's light. Our guilt withdrawn and as you rise, we come alive. The grave has lost the
Come on, be.